everyone. Welcome back to the Core Consult RX podcast. I am Mike Corvino, and with me as always, Cole Swanson. Yep. So I hit him with the, uh, the slow pause there. Yeah. Try to, you, yeah. I'm really changing. I'm going to explore the space a little bit in the changing intro. Changing up the cadence. Try mm-hmm. to get him to jump off sides oh, a little yeah. bit. They, they're not going to get my flow down. No. Yeah. That's uh, one of my many talents. But uh, no, I, I always feel dumb because I never know how to do the intro. And then I always feel like a talk show host for like five seconds. And then I just go back in my normal voice. I've noticed that. <laughs> so. Well, that's why we have uh, intro music. Yeah. So you don't, you know, take the pressure off. It doesn't because I still sound stupid okay. every time well, I say, hey, welcome back. For, for the first half of the intro, it's playing music. So. That's true. People are just dancing. Just they're not even listening to you at that point. <laughs> totally. <Yeah. laughs> that's exactly what's happening. Got their eyes closed while they're driving. Oh, man. Yeah. We're not advocating that. No, don't do that. <laughs> Cole, stop telling people bad things. Um, so I did uh, had a very uh, nice compliment paid uh, yesterday when I was at the conference. Yeah, um, went and got the privilege of speaking at the South Carolina Health Systems Pharmacists Association uh, conference yesterday. On get to talk about immunizations, and I had a couple of the residents uh, throughout the morning. While I was kind of like waiting to speak, a couple of the residents came up to me and um, said that they uh, just wanted to say hey that they listened to our podcast and they enjoyed it. So really, that was pretty awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, that was that was definitely very very cool and then uh so people do listen i was was as shocked as you were yeah wow that's great (laughs) so that was very very cool and then uh afterwards they were tagging like the core console rx handle on twitter and so i'm talking about the actual conference and so there you go we even we infiltrated even the most prestigious organizations (laughs) that's how we do it that's how we roll oh they never saw it coming i know trojan horse our way in that's exactly what we did <laughs> yeah. through, through their earbuds yeah yeah no we're professional yeah we know what we're talking about uh-huh we Next promise. You know, i'm at the conference <laughs> <laughs> they don't know what's going on oh man they're like why did we bring this guy in he's trying to tell jokes <laughs> so no it was super fun and um very actually pretty humbling that they even got the opportunity to do that so it's also the biggest crowd i've ever had to speak in front of so yeah. it's cool you nervous no I, I wasn't i thought i was actually going to be this time because i yeah. usually don't get nervous talking in front of people but they told me that there was you know a few hundred people there and um for a i was like waiting for like kind of assessing my own feelings I was like, nah never mind <laughs> <laughs> not gonna be nervous not nervous never I used mind. to punch people in the face i don't care about talking yeah this is people. way better i know no one's gonna physically attack me most likely so most likely yeah depends on what kind of jokes you tell i guess so I, I really was having that conversation actually today with one of my students that's on rotation with me. We were talking about like, you know, doing MMA and stuff like that and like mm-hmm. making that transition over to being a, you know, pharmacist and being a professional and whatnot. Um, well, professional, medical, you know, medical professional, I should say. But uh, I was like, well, the difference between like being a pro fighter and medical professional is that like, if I have to do something in front of a lot of people, like I know that there's no chance of that person like getting the upper hand and just beating me up in front of everyone like now i might just say something that i have to like retract or uh misspoke sorry about that oh i told you to give the wrong drug now somebody's dead well no not that i'm talking about like <laughs> i'm talking about a conference I'm not giving, right. I, don't, I don't give drugs there. all hypothetical yeah. at that point yeah so uh i was like well and he was like oh, that makes a lot of sense <laughs> <laughs> so that's why you don't get nervous like, yeah, that's why i don't get nervous because no one's going to physically attack me it's also a lot easier which you say the most people you've talked in front of but i guess technically we talk in front of that many people Every week, it's 80,000. <laughs> yeah, 80,000 people. <laughs> <laughs> we have 80,000 listeners. At least. At uh, least. There's actually no way for us to know how many we have at all. Yeah. That's why when we hear from people, we're like, oh, good. There's actually people listening yeah. to us. <laughs> wasn't, it, uh, wasn't it you that was saying you were listening to um, the, that one podcast that's like one of the biggest on iTunes? Yeah, stuff you should know. And they were like, yeah, we really don't know how many people we yeah, have. Well, apparently the metric system is so flawed. It's not easy to tell, and people can just use bots and get fake listens, and you don't even know, really. You just yeah. kind of have to trust people calling in and say, oh, yeah, I actually do hear what you say. Mm-hmm. It's hard because then, plus if you get downloads, like people could be subscribed yeah. and not haven't listened in four years to yeah. your podcast. So they just download them all. Their phone all. is just downloading automatically. They don't even have that phone anymore. Or they listen and there's no way for us to track it. So. Mm-hmm. Like Google or, Play and all that. Or so they all get into a big football stadium and play it over the loudspeakers and that only counts as one download which is absurd there's really ninety thousand people listening mm-hmm. i think that, honestly i think that's happened more than once <laughs> for us definitely definitely for sure the coliseum filled with people oh, listening yeah. to our podcast yeah for sure people are like what the heck are they talking about <laughs> this, I, like, I like to this keep, is the worst episode in core consult rx history i like to keep an eye on how long we talk about nonsense i try to keep it under five minutes <laughs> <laughs> 
four fifty eight right now. So I feel like we do need to have a, a new podcast where we literally just talk. Yeah, and like just no, I thought that's what we did already. It is, but this, we have like a little bit of like actual content <laughs> sprinkled in. But yeah, that'd be fun to just do a podcast. We won't ever release it because it would be absurd. No one would ever listen. But who knows? Or it would be the next be, Joe Rogan experience. You never know. It'd be fun at least. Yeah. Anyways. So for you um, careful listeners, you actually may have heard reference to what we're talking about today in a different podcast. And since Mike is um, not a careful listener, then he might not remember either. But the hookworms, I referenced mm, it. Yeah, I remember that. Okay, you do remember. I me- mm-hmm. Good. Oh, yeah, he, he's just nodding and smiling. Uh, but yeah, we talked about the hookworms and how, um, you know, the South and all that kind of stuff. But the point was that it can cause iron deficiency anemia. So that's what we're talking about today anemia. We're not going to talk about all of them because there's lots of ways to have decreased red blood cells, which is anemia, uh, but we'll be focusing in on two specifically, iron deficiency and then macrocytic. Yes. Plus, we also have to be able to come up with more episodes. Right, and so exactly. if we talk about everything now, yes, which, you know... That's the limit. problem we've run into. Mm-hmm. We're too broad. Yeah. So we're trying to... And there's plenty... We could probably just do it on iron deficiency and have plenty to talk about. So mm, we'll try easily. to get to both. So we'll yeah. see. Maybe if this takes two hours, we cut the, the macrocytic part. Maybe. Or just keep going. Yeah. I like that. We'll cut it into two episodes and act, do a new intro. Oh, yeah. There you go. Yeah. It's easy. Just problem stick solved. it in the middle and they won't even be able to tell. Well, they'll probably be able to tell now when they're, they're no. not in this episode. We, but. Yeah. <laughs> just, we just told them. All right. We're just going to keep keep it as is. Okay. So, um, what do you want to start? Well, you start with iron deficiency is that we decided that on? Yeah, I like it. All right. Where do you want to go? I'm sure you have some fantastic background information. Prepared. So, oh, I, I guess if where we're going to start, we might as well talk about iron a little bit. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so, iron has a pretty important function in the body. For one, it makes hemoglobin, which is probably its most important function. Um, and it is also a cofactor for a lot of other processes. Uh, it acts especially in your... Um, hair, skin, and nails. So there's some um, visual diagnostic things they can do if they think that you might be presenting with symptoms of iron deficiency anemia. Um, one is colonychia. I, I definitely pr- practice the pronunciation, but that is not correct. But basically, <laughs> that's spoon-shaped nails. So they would look for that in somebody who's severely anemic, iron deficient. There's also pica, which is the um, the desire to like chew ice or eat non-nutritional things like clay or dirt or something like that Uh, and also restless leg syndrome they don't know why but apparently iron deficiency anemia can cause symptoms like restless leg yep um so kind of the initial stage of this this iron deficiency anemia um iron stores are reduced without um without actually reducing the serum iron levels and at that point they can kind of be assessed with like looking at the serum uh, ferritin measurement um, the stores that are in the body allow the iron to be utilized, uh, and then that that is there's an increased need for um, hemoglobin synthesis at that point. This, you know, as that happens, the stores are depleted, um, and then there is still this uh, need for adequate iron because you have to have your daily you have to deal with your daily red blood cell turnover, um, and so this kind of process eventually you use up all your stores, and then that's when you officially. Um, have an, a true iron deficiency um, yeah. where it's, it's very easy to tell at that point. And red blood cells have a, a lifespan of about 120 days, which is actually pretty long. Um, and you will replete, I guess deplete and replete, about a little less than 1% of your red blood cells on a daily basis. Um, but just like Mike was saying, iron is absorbed primarily in the small intestine, uh, specifically the duodenum or duodenum, however you want to say it. I think there's one other way probably. Um, and so it'll be absorbed into the bloodstream and then it binds to transferrin, like Mike said, and that's how it's stored in the bloodstream that transports. So transferrin transports the iron, um, through the blood and to places where it's needed, especially the liver, which is where, uh, iron is primarily stored. So most of iron is stored inside of macrophages and it's bound to ferritin. So when you're looking at iron studies, ferritin is the bound stored iron, uh, and then transferrin is the. Uh, bound iron in the bloodstream. Um, iron is always bound to something for the most part, or it should be in the body. It always has a protein that it wants to hold on to. The reason is if you have free iron just floating around in the bloodstream, um, it can steal electrons basically when it's not bound to a, a protein and create free radicals. So it's basically toxic um, and you could have issues from that. So the body compensates by transporting it around. It always needs a little buddy, kind of like a five-year-old. 
Yeah. So, um, you know, in, in very mild cases uh, where a person um, just needs to have just a little bit of supplementation, they don't have to actually take a, a full-on supplement, um, you know, just having, making sure their diet can, is, it has a steady, consistent um, amount of iron in it is, is important. Um, you know, there's various foods that are high in iron, uh, best absorbed from meat, fish, poultry, um, you know, fortified cereals can help, uh, orange juice and, and others uh, that have ascorbic acid uh, or vitamin C can also help with the increase uh, absorption of that iron. And so making those sure that those foods are on board as well. And sometimes I might even have you take a vitamin C supplement with mm-hmm. your iron uh, to help the absorption. Yep. Um, and so, you know, that's kind of the first thing you can kind of look at as far as starting off um, with replenishing some of that lost iron in very, very mild cases. However, right. usually when you actually get to an anemic state, you need to take a iron supplement. Right. And um, in, in the U.S., deficiency, iron deficiency just from diet is pretty uncommon for the most part. Mm-hmm. Internationally, you get a lot more t- more of that um, in countries or in, I guess, places other than the U.S. and Europe. It's about six to eight times more likely to have a dietary deficiency of iron. But in the U.S., that's not super common. Um, there are foods that can actually decrease absorption of iron, uh, tea being one of them, um, bread, breads being another one. So you kind of got to watch out for that. Um, also, I guess talking more specifically about an iron study. So if you're going to diagnose iron deficiency anemia because you you know you get a red blood cell comes back and it's low, and so you're like, okay, so uh, we think this patient might be anemic, so let's go a little further. So we order some iron studies. Talked a little bit about them. Um, but of course your serum iron is overall going to be low. It's kind of a given. Also, uh, they'll get a transferrin saturation. Um, so normally that's about 33%, but like we talked about, iron is bound to transferrin when it's transported through the blood. So it makes sense that if your serum iron is low, your transferrin saturation will also be low. There's a couple of reasons for that. Um, but we'll come back to that in just a second. They'll also look at your ferritin. Um, that might be low, but if it's early on in the anemia, it could also be normal because ferritin is your stores of iron, so it might take time for that to be depleted. And the other thing they would look at is the total iron binding uh, capacity. So basically, this looks at how much how, how much binding capacity is available for iron to bind to. So they're looking at the amount of transferrin. So one of the body's main compensating mechanism for low iron is to produce more transferrin to send out into the bloodstream so it can just go and suck up as much iron as possible so none is wasted. So you might actually have higher amounts of transferrin increasing the total iron binding capacity. So those four things, all of them are going to be low except for the TIBC. That's going to be high, and that's what you would see uh, generally on an iron study so you could diagnose iron deficiency anemia. And um, one thing I also thought was kind of interesting is, you know, if you if you think about like the ferritin, like you said, it can be either normal or, and you know, as it gets further along, it usually goes low. If everything else points to normal um, or, or iron deficiency anemia, but the ferritin is is high, um, you still can have a lot of the initial same labyrinths with with that high ferritin, and that usually is. Um, because if it's anemia of a chronic disease, when there's a lot of inflammation present, um, you will get some of the same readings from iron deficiency anemia, except that ferritin actually increases instead of being normal or low. So that's something you can kind of, if you happen to, you're looking at an MCV and uh, the kidney function is normal and all that, and you think that you're automatically thinking to, um, you know, iron deficiency, then do look at that ferritin and see if it's it's elevated because I can kind of steer you in the other direction. And tune in for anemia part two for anemia of chronic disease. Whew, teased it. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. You it's there it now. There. Yeah, it's it out is. there. That way we also were forced to actually do it now. Yeah, I know. I think the other one we said we would do is um, the other thigh. I can't remember which thyroid we did. We either did hyper or hypo. And now we need to do the other one at some point. We have a, a PA colleague of ours from the uh, the old Graham um, that's going to come and help us oh, with yes. that one. So Excellent. That's Good. why we've been we've been trying to get the schedules coordinated Good. appropriately. So I'd rather someone who you know works in endocrinology join us so we can actually have a really I like good it. solid debate. I love it. And by debate, we just mean listen to what she has right. to say. <laughs> and saying, uh-huh. Uh-huh, that uh-huh. sounds good to yeah, us. I, yeah, I that's agree. what the textbook said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that'll be fun to actually uh, have someone from endocrinology helping us with that one. For sure. 
So uh, let's talk about some of the different treatment options for iron deficiency anemia. Right. Uh, obviously, we just want to supplement the elemental iron with uh, some form of uh, a tablet usually. Um, there's several formulations available, though. Um, so the most common we see is ferrous sulfate, and um, it comes as a 325 milligram tablet. Uh, the important thing to understand, though, is that you need, that you need about 100 to 200 milligrams of elemental iron per day. And so if a patient is taking one tablet of ferrous sulfate, they're only getting about 65 milligrams of elemental iron. So that's usually not going to be enough to actually treat the iron deficiency. And so um, a lot of times because of some of the side effects where they get some GI distress, things like that from uh, iron supplements, patients will start on one tablet and then a lot of times they don't even increase from there. But uh, realistically, you're probably going to need to do that 325 of the ferrous sulfate twice daily or even three times daily. Yep. Um, if you do have side effects, they do have a formulation called Labranium Slow FE, uh, Slow Iron, and uh, it's an extended release form. And that will, in theory, reduce some of the side effects, especially, you know, especially in regards to GI. Mm-hmm. Uh, it does help a little bit. I've seen some people get some relief from that, but not as much iron in that one. I, w- I want to say 45 milligrams of elemental iron uh, for the slow FE. So, again, you got to really watch the total daily amount and make sure it's at least over 100 and then monitoring some of the symptoms they can uh, occur and make sure that they're actually improving. Yeah, an important point, because uh, iron often causes some GI upset, and usually if a medication does, you would say take it with food, but iron you really don't want to because food can actually decrease the absorption. Coffee as well. So a lot of times for a lab, the doctor might say, I want you to do this fasting. Um, you can only have water or coffee that morning. can't even do coffee with iron. Uh, but you could do some vitamin C, and that might help it to be absorbed. So yeah. ferrous sulfate is definitely the most common. There's another couple that are relatively common, I guess, formulations of um, iron. There's ferrous fumarate and ferrous gluconate. These aren't as common, uh, but there are some small studies to suggest they may be better tolerated or may have lower rates of morbidity. It's all primarily unclear. Ferrous sulfate definitely can be the cheapest um, and at this point is the most common. The conversion from the um, actual iron dose to the elemental iron dose is um, kind of tricky sometimes. We learned in school, they told us FSG359 for the conversion. So for the fumarate, divide the total iron by three, and then you get the elemental iron. Um, FSG for sulfate, divide it by five, you'll get the elemental iron. And then gluconate, divide it by nine, and you get the total amount of elemental iron to keep within that 100 to 200 range or whatever you said. So, yeah. I must have missed that day. I do not remember uh, that at all. That's a good okay. one, though. Well, that's, that's what no, I like it. It's a good, it's catchy. FSG359. Yeah. I feel like with us, they were just like, yeah, yeah, memorize it. Yeah, just remember. <laughs> just remember. Get out of here. <laughs> And test this tomorrow. It's also important to recognize when you have decided someone has iron deficiency anemia, what's causing the anemia. So, of course, um, for the most part, you might treat it similarly, but not always. So there's a few things, and it kind of varies based on age. So with infants, uh, when they're born, they have a fair amount of iron that they have obtained from their mother. But within the first six months of life, frequently, they become iron deficient. Um, that's mainly because a lot of their diet, or it can be, um, from cow milk if they're not breastfeeding. So, um, bovine milk doesn't really contain iron and it contains a lot of calcium, which competes for the iron binding spots. Um, so in the first six months of life, a lot of times they'll send the patients out with an iron supplement and may even continue that for a little while, but you want to make sure that they're getting plenty of iron. There can also be instances of increased demand, like in, um, uh, females who are menstruating, or pregnant women, they can have kind of a dilutional um, iron deficiency. Also, decrease absorption with maybe celiac disease, or uh, if somebody had a gastrectomy or some type of GI surgery, which might decrease the amount of iron absorption, or medications that might decrease the amount of iron absorption. Um, and then increased loss, which would also be um, women who are menstruating, or if they had peptic ulcer disease, anyone with peptic ulcer disease. Um, people in developing countries who might have hookworm. Uh, And you also, in the elderly, always want to be watching out for colon cancer or polyps. Uh, So if somebody's presenting with an iron deficiency anemia, you want to make sure that you go ahead and order a hemocult test 
Uh, if that comes back positive, then you're probably going to want to send them for a colonoscopy just to double check. Yeah, those are definitely good points. Um, a couple other oral formulations of iron. Um, we also have uh, carbonyl iron as well. I be- I want to say that is only available currently as a as a prescription only product. Um, Fairlet ninety, I believe, is the brand name that it's under, um, and it's ninety milligrams of elemental iron. Um, that one's really easy for me to memorize because ninety is in the name. name. Yeah, yeah, that's easy. That's I don't, even, do I don't even need a name. A little fancy saying. <laughs> that's the one I stick with. And then we have um, a polysaccharide iron complex, uh, which is under the brand name New Iron N U hyphen Iron, um, and that's 150 milligrams daily. Um, that one, um, I've seen uh, some studies that have showed that that one's pretty well tolerated as well. Um, but the problem with the last two that I just mentioned, they're definitely much more expensive than getting the old fair sulfate over the counter. Mm-hmm. So you have to run into the whether or not the patient can actually afford to to pay for it. And then um, most insurance companies are probably not gonna gonna pay for it when they know they can get fair sulfate for pennies on the dollar. Yeah, they'll call it an OTC or something and say need yeah. to get fair sulfate. But um, we've already mentioned the, the adverse effects. But you know, you're thinking nausea, upset stomach, constipation. And also, like, dark, tarry stools can also happen as well. Um, but make sure that you warn patients about the GI side effects because it, they will most likely experience those. Um, some of the interactions to, to talk about, Cole's already covered several of them, but um, I do want to mention that, you know, obviously, like we've kind of already alluded to, iron needs an acidic environment really to, to be fully absorbed. So a patient that is taking antacids, H2 blockers, even PPIs, uh, because you're affecting the pH of the stomach, you can affect the absorption. So you decrease that absorption of the iron. Um, if a person does need antacids for whatever reason, if you can take two hours before, four hours after an, uh, an antacid, uh, that can definitely help. And then giving with vitamin C, like Cole was saying, will also help with that uh, increasing the acidic environment. Um, patients who are taking fluoroquinolones or tetracyclines, um, we know that they have multivalent cation mm-hmm. interactions. Um, so in that case, if a patient needs to take their antibiotic or if you see someone who maybe is taking like doxycycline twice daily for like acne or something like that, make sure that you have, uh, you're telling the patient to take it two hours before uh, or four to eight hours after um, either fluoroquinolones or tetracyclines. Um, and then levothyroxine is the other big one. Because uh, thyroid um, issues uh, definitely fairly common and uh, patients that if you become anemic you want to make sure that they are separating it we don't often think of iron as a drug um, right. because it's over the counter so making sure that you're talking to your patients about that this is still something that needs to be separated from the levothyroxine just like everything else um, by at least two to four hours and then you already mentioned taking on a stomach so um, yeah that's that's the main ones to kind of focus on yeah it's pretty common and we also talked about oral contraceptives in a different episode frequently they're supplemented with iron um, and you would also want to avoid levothyroxine at the same time with that one. Yeah. We should also mention, uh, we're talking mostly about outpatient management, but uh, we won't get too much into inpatient, but there are situations where hemoglobin goes so low uh, that you may want to transfuse um, some packed red blood cells or do a blood transfusion. It depends on the institution. You probably have guidelines as to when to do that. A lot of times you're looking when the hemoglobin is in the 7 to 8 range or below that, and uh, maybe if they're symptomatic, you you might consider it, but uh, probably refer to your institution's guidelines. I didn't even mention some other symptoms of iron deficiency anemia. Probably the most common is fatigue, um, so like a diminished capability to perform labor or walking, climbing stairs. They might get leg cramps may even have cold intolerance or poor scholastic performance if they're younger. Uh, They're also going to be more susceptible to infections, and um, a lot of times their condition may be worsened by like a pulmonary disease or some type of cardiac disease. So things to look for. Yeah. Maybe that's that was my problem. What? Lack of scholastic. You just needed some iron. I just needed iron. Chomped on it. Jeez. That would have been a quick fix. Doctors missed that, huh? Mm-hmm. That explains it. All those shrinks. They just totally missed it. 
Yeah, all the ones I saw. <laughs> um, so the other thing we need to mention when we're, you know, as far as iron is the parental iron therapies, yeah. there, are, there are options. Now, if a patient has you know, chronic kidney disease, um, especially ones that are on hemodialysis, this may be a good option for them. Um, patients that have failed iron therapy, you've tried to get them on uh, an, an iron therapy like oral regimen, it's just not working. And like Cole said, maybe they have you know, irritable bowel disease, uh, or I mean, I'm sorry, inflammatory bowel disease. I combined the two diseases. You see that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, celiac it's disease. Efficient. Yeah, it's very, very efficient. <laughs> Um, or celiac disease, um, something like that that's a, a inhibiting the absorption, um, we may need to do a parental option. And then uh, definitely a alternative to blood transfusions um, for people who maybe tr- refuse transfusions for like religious reasons um, would be another thing to, you know, consider. Yeah. Um, but there's a few different options available. We don't need to spend a ton of time on these, but the ones that are uh, available right now, iron, dextran, we have sodium ferric gluconate, iron sucrose, and then I believe this the newest agent is the um, furamoxetol um, on the market now, which is a uh, 510 milligram IV dose, followed by a uh, second dose three to eight days later, and you're know, good to go. Um, definitely some uh, risk of iron overload in those cases. Much more effective at getting iron in your blood than uh giving a tablet once once to twice, three times a day. Uh, so you need to be aware of that. Um, and then with that newer agent, um, as well as the iron dextran, we do have to worry about anaphylactic reactions. We've seen case studies where um, people have had anaphylactic reactions when having those infusions done. And so um, especially in regards to the uh, iron dextran, um, they typically will we'll do like a test dose first mm-hmm. um, to just ensure that the patient doesn't have sort of reaction to it. Um, and then, you know, the patients that are most at risk of this are the ones that have multiple drug allergies. Right. Um, so, at, you know, adverse effects for the IV uh, types of uh, iron supplements, we have muscle aches, flushing. Um, it can be either hypo or hypertension. Uh, can cause tachycardia, can cause peripheral edema. So um, while they're a lot more effective at getting the iron up quickly, significantly more side effects, a lot more dangers. Um, if the person can tolerate oral uh, iron supplements, definitely the way to go. Yeah, I think that I said celiac's disease earlier, and you said celiac. I'm one of those guys who hates when people add S's to the end of stuff that shouldn't be there, mm-hmm. like Kroger's or Belk's or Monterey's. None mm-hmm. of those have S's, Yeah, but I did it, so... Mm. My own worst enemy. Belks. Belks. Yep. I haven't heard that one. Never heard that? Mm. I don't frequently shop at Belk, but... I'm trying to think of some others. Those are common, though. Hmm. At least down here. Southerners. Southerners. All those hookworms. (laughs) (laughs) Always back to the hookworms. They're everywhere. They are, apparently. I guess. Not around here anymore, but go to some uh, third world countries. Yeah. Find some hookworms. I was talking about Charleston, but... Well, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. Can't so, see those little jokers a lot of times. That's true. very true. <laughs> so what, um, else, what else you got on iron deficiency? I guess uh, you mentioned blood transfusions as well. Did, did you, I didn't hear if you said uh, like when to consider those. Uh, mentioned it depends on the institution. But yeah. Maybe seven to eight-ish. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good deal. Um, you know, if the case happens where the patient does get like iron overload, iron toxicity, um, we do have um, reversal agents. Deferoxamine, um, Desferol is a brand name, which is like a chelating agent. You can give that to, to sort of uh, uh, chelate, absorb some of that iron and get rid of it and um, allow it to uh, no longer be in a toxic level in the system. So um, also an option and something you need to monitor. Most likely if somebody's getting a... Uh, parental infusion i would i'm assuming i haven't personally heard of too many case studies of patients having uh, unless they just took the whole bottle um, being on regular doses of oral iron and having uh, problems with that but um you know keep that in mind there is something we can do if they do have iron toxicity but we'd hopefully like to avoid that if possible yep what else what else we got for that anything that's all i got for iron deficiency all right moving right along Cool. Want to move on to macrocytic anemia? Yeah. Let's do it. Also known as macrocytosis, uh, it's usually used to describe urethrocytes that are larger than normal. 
which would usually be reported as an MCV or a mean corpuscular corpuscular volume or a mean cell volume, some say, greater than 100 FL, and FL is femtoliters. I looked this one up, Mm. which is 10 to the negative 15 liters. It's a tiny amount. You'll find that somewhere in some trivia, some bar. You're welcome. Um, but yeah, that's what that's what a macrocytosis is. Has um, a couple of common um, causes. The most common cause is going to be considered a megaloblastic anemia, which would be the result of an impaired DNA synthesis, um, which is commonly B12 or folate. There are also non-megaloblastic macrocytic anemias, um, which don't impair DNA synthesis. And those are commonly increased membrane surface areas, some disorder that causes that, um, accelerated erythropoiesis, alcoholism, or even COPD. Uh, but we'll be talking a lot about B12 and folate deficiency today. Yes. Where do you want to start? Do you have any background information or anything that you want to go through first? Um, not really. Not for this one. Femtoliters is about as far as I got. <laughs> <laughs> I love the honesty. That's, that's my background uh, research there. Um, so I guess let's just start with, uh, B12 then, because I feel like that's the one that I personally have run into more so than the folate deficiency, but, let's do it. um, it, like Cole was saying, it can come from various causes, but, um, one thing that, um, one lab value that can kind of, you want to take a look at would be things like the, the homocysteine levels and then also the, um, Methyl mel- um, melanoic acid, uh, which is going to be specific to vitamin B12. Um, if you know, you can kind of that's one way you can kind of differentiate between the folate and the methyl B12 deficiencies. Um, and then uh, patients who are taking certain medications, there's two that I always think about, um, and that's going to be PPIs and metformin. Mm-hmm. Um, PPIs can lower the B12, and then metformin actually depletes your intrinsic factor, um, which is going to. Uh, cause basically a uh, pernicious anemia, mm-hmm. um, which is basically that by definition, that if you have an absence of intrinsic factor, um, you get this B12 deficiency. And that's um, that's something that uh, metformin does. However, you can't overcome that with just giving supplement B12 and just that little bit that's able to be absorbed even with the, the low intrinsic factor or depletion of intrinsic factor can still supplement enough to where you no longer have that macrocytic anemic state. Right. And some people have a um, intrinsic lack of intrinsic factor and it's not caused by, you know, something exogenous. Also gastrectomies. So um, if you've had some type of resection or um, stomach surgery, it could also, will very commonly want to supplement B12. Uh, you could also have a small bowel bacterial ogre- overgrowth, tapeworms, um, ileal bypass, other things like that that can cause B12 deficiencies. But I, I feel like most commonly is going to be medication-induced. Um, the uh, dietary deficiency can happen. Isn't super common unless you have some issue with absorption, but uh, is something you want to watch out for. And alcoholism as well. But that's mainly folate, really. Yeah. So, you know, the, the main goal with therapy um, is going to be, obviously, to first off identify and correct whatever the underlying cause is, if possible, uh, and then to reverse some of the hematological manifest, um, manifestations of that B12 deficiency, as well as re- replace the actual B12 stores. Um, typically, the main symptoms that we'll see um, would be like neurological symptoms, so neuropathy, um, and in fact, because the metformin can has such a high likelihood of depleting B12, um, one of the ADA updates, I believe it was last year when they updated this, maybe the year before, I can't, all the years are running together, but... Um, That's what they, happens when you get old. I know, so... Old. <laughs> um, the uh, they actually the ADA actually recommended that patients get a B12 level checked when they're on metformin, um, especially if they're having any kind of signs of like peripheral neuropathy, because it used to be it was often overlooked as being just diabetic neuropathy, and it was actually caused from a B12 deficiency, yep. um, and not actually because the the diabetes was un, uncontrolled. So it's one of our clinical pearls. Yeah, it is. It's free of charge, guys. It's like six that I know. I know. <laughs> We lay them out. We space them out at least every three or four episodes, mm-hmm. so hopefully people like, don't catch on. We, we give you what we got. <laughs> <laughs> but I've never understood or liked the for the phrase "clinical pearls." That just sounds so weird to me. Like a, I get it. Like I get the yeah. 
but the, it just uh, sounds dumb. The analogy. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I just, we like, can coin our own. We should. Yeah. I just would prefer like, hey, some stuff you need to know. Like, there's a clinical pearl. Well, I mean, that's, that's why they getting, made the podcast, stuff getting. you should know. It's basically... That's, thank you. you know, See? It's life pearls. Yeah. You get... Mm, no. Stuff you should know. No. <laughs> they did they a keep lot. it simple. Yeah, if they would name that podcast Life Pearls, they'd have six <laughs> listeners and not millions. Well, so good call, guys. Podcast geniuses. Good call, why. guys. Yeah, good job. Yep. Good. Number two to us only. <laughs> exactly. Same amount of followers. Anyways, we're <laughs> way off. Again, off topic. Darn it. This is the worst episode ever. Okay. Um, treating B12 deficiency. Pretty easy. Uh, yeah. It's uh, one of the main um, ways that we typically like to treat it is just an IM injection of uh, cyanocobalamin. Um, that is the uh, version of B12 that we typically use to supplement. Um, and it can be used, you know, once weekly for four weeks or so to kind of get in your system. And then a lot of patients will move to, to once per month um, and then until their levels kind of balance mm-hmm. out. Some patients stay on it for quite a long time, for years. Um, I know some of the elderly patients that get it once a month and they have been on it for a couple of years now and they continue to use it. So... Fortunately, um, B12, um, it's not fat soluble. So if you have excess, you're just going to pee it out. So it's not like treating vitamin D deficiency where you hit them with those really high doses of vitamin D and then you want to make sure you get it off after a little while because you don't really want that to just continue to build up forever. You don't need it. Uh, B12, you don't want to stay on it forever, but it's really not going to hurt you too much to have a little bit too much. Yeah. I've been known to abuse B12 Gives you some energy. I know. Yeah. Which is one of the symptoms of B12 deficiency is going to be decreased energy. Mm-hmm. So when your energy is just totally fine and you take B12. And then this just like. supercharges there you. There you go. Not evidence-based. Have you seen the the um, the um older ladies that can, you know, give themselves the injection? Mm-mm. You haven't, you haven't heard of ladies doing that? Mm-mm. Oh, it's pretty impressive. Really? Yeah, yeah. They inject themselves. I, I've never actually tried to do that myself. I, I thought about doing that with my flu shot just to see. Just to do it. I've just never tried. Yeah. But I, I feel like I can't imagine. It seems like it's just so much easier to let somebody else do it. That's true, but you know, I let somebody else do it, and um, you know, he was good at it. But I think he went a little too high, and man, it really probably the sorest I've been. Is the flu shot supposed to go in the clavicle? <laughs> <laughs> Aim for the joint. The oh joint man, right that that I've heard so many horror stories of people doing that. I literally just cover. I cover the shoulder. Because uh-huh. you know. I've made fun of it so many, and I shouldn't say made fun of it, but I've joked about like how in the world is that possible that I know karma is just waiting to be like, uh-huh, oh, yeah. this is what you get. Well, you know, I, I, I tell people how many I've been giving recently and I've gotten the question a lot. Like, have you, how many times have you stuck yourself? And I'm like, I haven't stuck myself. Yeah. Damn. None. So it's kind of make me nervous. Yeah. And when I start thinking about it, I'm going to stick myself. Mm. Ugh. That's the worst. It's and it's always like the, like the worst you know, needle to actually get stuck with. I know. A friend of mine had Open been, bore. Yeah. A friend of mine had been stuck like, I had never been stuck. I've been given so many different vaccines, like, I mean, for years. It's the first time you ever stick with the person's like, I may have hep C and oh, HIV. Geez. Like, why? Why, why, why? Oh, my gosh. So, he's well, fine. Because, I, mean, I mean, they have, I'm going so fast. Mm-hmm. I just need to slow down a little bit. Yeah, that would not when be When I'm cool. taking it out, I just need to slow down. Because I've got this, you know, I take it out, I flip a little cover, and I'm just going to stick myself someday. Mm-hmm. I stopped even using the safety little cover on mine. It's because it's high risk. I just don't like. Yeah, I don't like the extra step. I just put it directly that way. I'm yeah. watching it go in the sharps container. Um, yeah, I've never. See, liked... I've gotten to where I just. I even take my eyes off. I just pull it out and I just flip it. I don't even think about <laughs> just it. Just careless. Seriously, <laughs> reckless abandon given the flu shots. Jeez. Oh, yeah. I'm gonna be more careful. Yeah, I need to. Because I swear, if you like to stall our podcast because you're <laughs> having to get treatment for some crazy <laughs> thing, I'm gonna be upset. <laughs> Oh, Mike, I always think about other people. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm thinking about the podcast, which is for other people. That's true. It's yeah. about the greater good. It saves lives. Yeah. And if you stuck yourself because you weren't paying attention, I know. Nah, it's on, it's on. I mean, it is on me. If it happens, it's on me. How soon after that happens would I be able to make a joke about it and it kind of be funny? Well, it, you know, if it's well, if it's HIV, it could be three to six months before you even knew. So maybe not soon. 
<laughs> so we'll just hope for the best and start the jokes early. Yeah. That way you're at least mentally prepared. There you go. That's the way to do it, I guess. Yeah. Anyways, okay. Now, we're going to get really back on track this time. Um, some other options you can use, uh, there's oral forms, sublingual tablets of B12. Uh, there is also sublingual liquid, which is not the best tasting stuff. And then lozenges as well, if you're just really trying to be fancy. Um, they usually come 1,000 to 2,000 micrograms daily. And then there's also a nasal there solution. There is. The, the Nascoball. Yeah. Um, Sounds weird. The weird part about that is that it's 500 micrograms in one nostril. Mm-hmm. Once a week, mm-hmm. we've always because usually those of us who have used, um, well, well, yeah, that that's like the more logical thing to be confused about. But what I'm getting <laughs> at is, what I'm getting at is, most of us have used a nasal spray. It's either been like a nasal steroid or like Advan or something mm-hmm. like that. So like we're gonna go, well, you know, we're accidentally using the second nostril. Oh yeah, like oh no. Both nostrils. Well, you know, maybe that's why they didn't make it a thousand microgram dose because mm. they knew that was going to happen. Maybe. So then they get the thousand mics and everything's fine. And yeah, that was what was supposed to happen. Yeah. Maybe. maybe They're smart, those guys. It out. You know, those pharma guys. Yeah. Yeah, that were giving them too much credit. Maybe. So, uh, maybe they're like, dang, we got the dose wrong. <laughs> and then Mike's <laughs> like, oh, we can fix this. Nobody tell them. <laughs> oh, geez. Okay. Um, so, some of the things to uh, kind of think about um we'll talk about the adverse effects in a minute but there's a weird allergy that i don't know how unless you just went through several different testings i don't know how you would even find out you were allergic to this but patients that are allergic to cobalt um, okay cobalt is like that, the gum the flavor of gum yes if you're allergic to five gum flavor <laughs> scent or flavor of cobalt you can't have b12 it's the weirdest <laughs> thing uh, no cobalt uh there's actually a cobalt like moiety at the center of a B12 molecule. B12 is the most ridiculous molecule like you'll ever see like structurally. It's, it's ginormous. It's really, it's kind of showing off a little bit. And there's a cobalt like atom dead center. I don't like showy, showy molecules I don't like that. It's really annoying. It's jerks. But, um, and the reason I always remember that is because I had a question, biochem one in undergrad, and that had to do with something about cobalt. And I was like, cobalt, that's obviously not important. <laughs> And I got the question wrong, and then my teacher was like totally irritated with me because I had done bad in the final, or you know, gotten that question wrong in the final. She said, like, "How do you? You're trying to be a pharmacist. How do you not know that?" And I never forgot it. Never had to use well, it even once. But now all the pharmacists that listen know it, and mm-hmm. everyone else. So there also you go. Also, probably only going to be useful during trivia, but now you know. Or if they like five gum. <laughs> yeah, we're talking about real cobalt, by the way. <laughs> just in case everyone's totally confused about why five gum would interact. <laughs> Uh, they have great marketing. They can't help it. And okay. I, I, there are oral forms, but I feel like the, the IM is going to be like the yeah. most common unless it's really mild and they're like, yeah, just go get some over the counter, take some B12 and you'll be fine. Yeah. Uh, but if you want to increase it in your diet, you can. So similar to iron, uh, red meat is going to be a good source of B12. Uh, and we didn't talk or we haven't yet talked too much about folate deficiency, but green leafy vegetables, good source of folate, good source of vitamin K. Um, I do want to mention too, real quick, that I the IM shot um, can also be given sub Q. So that being said, if is that the, right? Mm-hmm, it can be given either one. I didn't know that. Um, that being said, if for the pharmacist listening, you're dispensing the B12 to someone. If the directions are IM, please don't give them a sub Q needle. <laughs> that yeah. happened to someone in my family, and he's just like getting sub Q. He's like, man, it just really hurts, <laughs> and I couldn't figure out why. It's because they were giving him an IM needle to put in the back of his arm. Oh, jeez. And so he's just like, yeah, this is uh, really painful. I yeah, gave, I gave sure my first um, sub Q vaccination the other day. Really? Yeah. How'd it go? She was a trooper, that's for sure, because that's not a pleasant one. The one in the back of the arm. Mm-hmm. What'd I, you give? Uh, chicken pox. Mm. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. I'm glad we don't... Have to, I used to, to do it all the time with Zostavax, yeah. so I'm glad we don't have but to do I that one anymore. Done with all that. Yeah. Now it's just the back order Shingrix. Mm, now it's just the Shingrix we can't get. <laughs> um, so you want to talk a little bit about folate? Or yeah. you got anything more on B12? No, let's do it. Okay. Yeah, so folate, I talked a little bit about it, uh, but it's similarly, it's going to be a megaloblastic anemia. Uh, it is an important cofactor in the DNA synthesis, and so a lack of that can cause similar issues. It's pretty easy. There's not a whole lot of formulations or anything. Uh, if you find that somebody is lacking folate, then you're just going to supplement with about one milligram of folate a day, and it's nice and easy. Uh, but you do want to be careful if uh, someone 
also has a vitamin B12 deficiency, or if you even suspect it, um, giving them folate without B12 can actually cause some type of issue. It may precipitate a subacute combined degeneration of the spinal cord, apparently. So that's uh, news to me. So <laughs> <laughs> generally, might as well go ahead and give them B12 too, just in case. Yeah. I love the honesty. <laughs> I had no idea about that until about three hours ago and I looked it up. Oh, it was about 30 minutes ago. So. Perfect. Um, and also, too, for the providers that are listening, the folic acid tablets over the counter, um, usually 0. 0.4 um, and then 0. 0.8 mill- microgram, rather, um, the, or 0. 0.8 milligrams uh, in like the prenatal and things. The one milligram is technically prescription strength, so make sure you're giving them a prescription because they won't find it over the counter. Uh, for the one milligram tablets. Yep. But that's a good point about pregnancy. So uh, folate is extremely important if um, in the beginning stages of pregnancy. So frequently they'll recommend, really the recommendation is anyone um, of uh, any female of childbearing age should basically be taking a folate um, tablet just in case they do get pregnant. But especially if you're trying to get pregnant or you think you might get pregnant, you want to be supplementing with folate uh, and that is to decrease the risk of spina bifida because uh, a folate deficiency can greatly increase the risk of that. Some of the adverse effects of folate, and now these are going to be, these sound severe, so don't panic because these are usually only seen in, in higher doses, but could even cause problems like bronchospasm, flushing, um, certain types of rashes, things like that. Um, that being said, you know, we, we would worry about that more so uh, in patients who are like supplementing like once weekly folate um, when they're taking like methotrexate, things like mm-hmm. that, you, with much higher doses than like one milligram a day. Uh, but something to consider um, that it is a problem if you were to happen to run into one of those that can't happen. So um, the other thing is uh, interactions. It can act, folic acid can actually decrease the serum concentrations of both phenytoin and phenobarb. So if mm. you are happen to still be using those for seizure um, prevention, then um, it can decrease the serum concentrations of both of those. And you mentioned methotrexate. So there are uh, other drug-induced macrocytoses that are common in non-alcoholic patients, but um, it's generally going to be things that you would think of, like um, 6-mercaptopurine, uh, cytosine, cyclophosphamide, zidovudine, uh, but also oral contraceptive pills can. Mike mentioned phenytoin, trimethoprim can as well, and then uh, arsenic. So for those of you who are supplementing yourselves with arsenic, be aware that it can cause a folate deficiency, so you want to be yeah, careful You're going to want to stop that probably too. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. You but I mean, know. you know, if you're not dead. Um, did you mention colchizine? No. Um, colchizine also is one that can potentially, so people who are taking it once or twice a day, um, you know, patients that are on like a xanthine oxidase inhibitor and then also, you know, maybe have TOFI present or something, um, that are, if, if, uh, are also needing to take the colchizine daily, um, would potentially be something to worry about. And then hydroxyurea, I don't know if you mentioned that one, um, but if a patient, uh, you know, sickle cell disease, um, would want to monitor for that as well, because hydroxyurea can precipitate that out. Um, did you have anything else on, on those? No, that was pretty much it. But that, yeah, but as far as, um, macrocytosis, we mentioned that COPD can, uh, cause it and the other non DNA synthesis causes, but B12 and folate are definitely, especially B12, definitely going to be your most common. So when, uh, we've kind of addressed two common causes of fatigue, if somebody comes in complaining, that's mm-hmm. some stuff you'd look for. Yeah. Along with thyroid and some other things. I just... Send them right over to the Z-Quill. There you go. Hey, take this at night. You'll be fine. <laughs> no further research needed. Um, one thing, too, uh, this is totally just random, but I just thought of this now while we we're kind of sitting here. Uh, there was one time I got it when I was in a community setting pharmacy. I got a prescription for hydroxocobalamin. Mm-hmm. And we called on it because I wasn't familiar with it at the time. And the ER physician had written for it. He's like, no, the guy just needs a B12. So just give him that. It doesn't matter which kind it is. Um, so I was super confused and then couldn't figure out why I'd never heard of this version of um, this cobalamin before. And it's actually uh, used, that version is used for patients with um, cyanide poisoning. 
So it's like a, an IV and an IM version, but hmm. it can be used for, for vitamin B12 deficiency. But we typically see that version with uh, as an antidote to cyanide poisoning IV. Do you think it was just a mistake? I think he just picked one yeah. off the electronic the chart, prescription yeah. and was mad that I called him. Right. <laughs> He's probably interrupting whatever he was doing. What, you never heard of cyanide deficiency before? Yeah. This guy's got vitamin B. Just give him whatever. <laughs> okay. Thank you, sir. Glad. Sorry to bother you. I got a script for codeine sulfate. Um solution yesterday and i couldn't find it anywhere and i think it had been um discontinued in the u.s mm. so we got it switched I, but it might that might not even be true but that's pretty much what i came up with because i couldn't that's find what I, it that's anywhere. what i lied and told them yeah. so i could get out of it <laughs> no but facts and comparisons told me it had been discontinued so interesting that's all i have access to so i gotta trust them mm. we gotta get you uh i know register as a preceptor to get you some of them that and Medscape and Hippocrates. I sound like the med students. Yeah, you do. That's what they like to use. They do like that. Yep. Uh, I, uh, I'm very thankful to MUSC for allowing me to have access to UpToDate <laughs> and every other thing. Oh, I miss them. Every miss, other database. I miss them greatly. I've been three months deprived now. Four months. It's all right. We're going to get you precepted in no time. Yeah. We're going to have, you're going to be the first person to have a podcasting rotation. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. That, then just make a whole new category. Probably would consider uh, it. Uh, pharmacy media relations. Mm. Mm, that sounds official. That sure does. <laughs> a lot better awesome. than podcasting uh, rotation. Yeah. Oh no, for sure. We'll we'll spruce it up a little bit. Students will learn all kinds of stuff, including uh, doing what, all the stuff we need to do. Them. <laughs> need what all the knobs mean? All, all the knobs. We'll have to YouTube that first. Perfect lighting. Mm-hmm. How to turn the camera on? Where to angle it? And then be ready to go anytime we call. Oh yeah. To work this behind the scenes. An hour before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because a good rotation. Yeah. Gets us free help. Basically what Steve does, but uh, you might put him out of a job. Yeah. Thank God. <laughs> Steve. <laughs> Always messing stuff up. I know. So, anything else today? That's all I got. We, we, we did, uh, you know, made it through, even though we had about probably 20 minutes total of solid nonsense yeah too much today i'm sure, sure we'll get an email about that yeah we Can always you guys do just stop talking <laughs> just i just talk. want to learn yeah stop talking about stupid stuff <laughs> i don't even remember what we were talking about i don't either but i do i have i do enjoy those emails every once in a great yeah, while they're good reminds wow. us we're, we're doing our job yeah this person is really annoyed <laughs> it's unfortunate but we're just out there to annoy people sorry yeah. try harder we apologize for any barking during that time yeah i'm just thinking dog's been crazy today yeah. so we really need to they just get want to get in on the sound, action. Sound paneling this room. That's yeah. our next move. Ah, yeah. Yeah. Always evolving. That's an idea. Yep. Okay. Well, yeah. That and studio lighting. We got a lot of stuff to do. Yeah, we'll get Whew. there. Yep. Anyways, thank you guys so much for listening. Um, really appreciate it. As always, you know, that really means a lot that anybody would take the time to listen. So knowing that uh, some of you had were nice enough to take your time to come up and tell us, you know, tell me at the conference yesterday. That was awesome. So you know who you are. Thank you very much. You guys are awesome. And, um, I, uh, if you have the time, we would also really appreciate uh, you leaving a comment or a, uh, at least a star rating on our podcast on iTunes. Um, give it a subscribe on whatever you like to listen to it, Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever. Um, but we really appreciate it. And then that helps us out as well. If you have any questions, hit us up anytime. We'll be happy to try to answer them, and we'll get back to you as quick as we can. Thank you guys so much for the support. We'll see you next time. Later.